You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Before we look at our passage, I'm going to look at this Luke, sorry, Luke, we've been in Luke for so long, John's passage in chapter 6. It's helpful to know what comes before. Um, All of chapter 6 is a really important turning point in John's gospel. And there's a a large crowd we see here following Jesus because of the uh, miracles they had seen and heard about prior to the events in chapter 6. In the beginning of chapter 6, we have the uh, feast of the Passover celebration, the Jewish festival of the Passover, but there's no food. And there's a large crowd of 5,000 men, which means it probably wasn't just men. There were probably also women and children there as well. So we could say, you know, give or take, maybe 10,000 people are there, and there's no food uh, for them. And here's an interesting side note with chapter 6. We have at the very beginning, if you're looking at it in your own Bible or in the Pew Bible, it's on page 891, that chapter 6 looks a lot like the, the shape of the Exodus from Egypt, because the very beginning of chapter 6, we have the Passover, just as at the end of all the plagues right before uh, the, uh, Israel leaves Egypt and they go across the sea. Remember, the Passover is instituted. And here we have the Passover. And then you have the story starting at verse 16 of Jesus. There's the storm and the disciples are on the sea. And this isn't the story of him calming the storm, but he walks on the sea, just as God had power over that previous sea and split the waters, so we see Jesus demonstrating his power to even walk on it. Uh, And then we have discussion about bread and even the manna coming up, just as God gave them provision of water and food in the wilderness. So do you see how chapter 6 is shaped a lot like the Exodus story? And that's kind of important for knowing all that's going on and the discussions that they're having with, that he's having with the, uh, the crowds following him a lot like Israel in the wilderness and at the Exodus. The people here believe because of the the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of multiplying the the loaves and fish to feed all those thousands of people, they believe that he is the prophet or Messiah that's promised in the Old Testament. Just as Moses said, there will come another prophet like me. But like Satan in the wilderness, they confuse the Messiah with a political king. They want to put him in political power. They don't understand that the Messiah is a spiritual king. So Jesus prevents them by escaping their attempts to make him king. And eventually he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the next day the crowds find him on the other side of the sea. Uh, This is after the story of him walking on the water, his disciples, and he gets to the other side of the sea and the crowds figure out that he's left and gone to the other side. And so they follow him. And this is where our passage picks up, really. The crowds ask him, where have you been? You know, we came out to see you, fed us all this food, and we wanted to make you king, and then you disappeared. What gives? And his response to this question is very important. He says to them, you're looking for me not because of the miracle that demonstrated my true identity. And I mean, and not just the miracle of the, the feeding of the 5,000. There have been healings, we're told, that happened before this. He says, you're, you're not looking for me because you saw these signs and understood who I really am, but because you had a really good meal and you want more food. That's why you're looking for me. 
As Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, their God is their belly, and, the glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things, not on heavenly things. This is why Jesus tells them, do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, referring to himself, Jesus, gives. And so there's a contrast here uh, between earthly things that they're seeking after that perish and heavenly things that are imperishable that Jesus is trying to tell them about and to give them, to offer to them. But the people he's interacting with have their minds set on the earthly, their next meal for earthly survival or even uh, comfort and satisfaction. And Jesus tells them to work instead for eternal food by doing the work of God. You can work for this eternal food by doing the work of God, he says. And naturally, they ask how they can be doing the work of God for this food. And Jesus responds with the most important line in our passage today, which is uh, verse 29. Why don't you look at that in your bulletin or in your Bible, verse 29. If there's anything you walk away with today, you know, if... 90% of what I say is kind of white noise to you. Here's the thing that I really want you to focus in on is, is, is verse 29. He says this, this is the true work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. That is Jesus. He's referring to himself. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And the crowd still doesn't get it because they ask for more signs. I mean, isn't that crazy? They've just had a, there were some loaves, a few loaves and a few fish, and he multiplied it for like 10,000 maybe people to eat, and they had leftovers. Uh, And they still want uh, more evidence. Crowd still doesn't get it. Never convinced, just like Israel in the wilderness. I mean, did they not grumble in the wilderness after all the, the, the power that was demonstrated from God, never convinced by the parting of the sea and the miraculous provision of food and water when there was none, at every turn Israel grumbling in rebellion? And so it is with this crowd, following God across another sea after many miracles and still demanding more proof and more food, not trusting that the same one that provided for them previously will continue to provide. And to this, Jesus tells them that there's a greater or heavenly food. There's a, there's a greater sign, a more heavenly sign, that even the, miraculous, that even the miraculous manna their ancestors ate for 40 years every day. And they respond, sir, give us this bread always. Just like, do you remember, this is a, a couple chapters back when the Samaritan woman says, give me that water. Uh, it's the same sort of response that they're having. They say, sir, give us this bread always. What they desire is not to go hungry and not to need to work anymore. And so they still don't get it. They're seeking uh, temporary earthly satisfaction and security, but Jesus is talking about eternal heavenly gifts on full display right in front of them. But they're blind and deaf to the truth. So Jesus says plainly, I am, this is the first of several I am statements in John's gospel. I am, he says to them, you you don't seem to get it, so let me speak to you plainly. I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me, that is, whoever believes in me, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He means that all who believe in him will have spiritual life and not death. And this spiritual life will begin to have effect right here in this life, and it also has eternal promises as well, of course, heavenly promises. As I said, the most important line is, is verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, that is Jesus. Well, believe is a problematic word in our society. Part of me doesn't like that often our, our Bibles translate the Greek word behind here into believe because of where we've come in American society with that word, that it's taken on some nuances that are unhelpful. When we hear believe, we think it simply means to acknowledge the existence of something. Usually when people are talking about belief in God, that, that's what comes to mind. You know, you're either an atheist or you, you aren't, that you need to believe in God, the, the, to have an intellectual assent to the idea that God exists. That's usually what people are, are thinking when they hear this word, but the Greek word, stay with me here, this is, I think this is important. I know I'm bringing up some Greek. I always hesitate to do that, but I, I think this is helpful. The Greek word behind this is a word pistis, and a better translation of that word is to entrust or to trust in. And to give you an idea of how this word, the same exact word, is translated differently in the same gospel, you can look at the end of John chapter 2, right before Jesus encountered with Nicodemus. And John says this, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, meaning people, man, it's the same word that's translated entrust. He says, Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And so you see the same word here is translated, he didn't entrust himself, he didn't believe in man <laughs> in order to trust them with his life. Well, do we trust earthly things or do we trust in Jesus Christ is really the question that this passage begs. This is the main question. When you're worried, when you're confused, when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you have anxiety, when you don't know what to do, when you know there's a decision up ahead, what do you look to for a solution or for hope or for strength or for guidance? Do you look to yourself, to your own strength, to the government, to elected officials? to people you're in relationship with in your life, to your workplace, to your job, uh, to substances, to media, television, popular culture, the internet, social media, or do you turn instead to the promises and power of God through Jesus Christ when you're faced with problems in life? You know, it's really strange for my line of work, but I can often slip into depending on things other than God for what I do. You know, even preparing the sermon or thinking about coming here today, it's so easy to slip into depending on plenty of other things beside the power of God. At some point in the past few years, I was hit by this fact and I was completely humbled to repentance, that I was depending on my own strength and creativity to accomplish certain goals. And I needed to start doing every single thing by the power and will of God to try to remind myself of that, saturating everything more and more in prayer 
walking by the Spirit, asking God to fill me with His Spirit every single day uh, instead of depending on my own strength. And of course, this is an obvious environment if I work for a church that I should be doing such things. And I hate that I worked for so long in ministry depending so much on myself. And I, I can't do this often enough, but I apologize to you. I repent of doing that, and I, and I apologize to God for that. But you don't need to work for a church to be humbled by such a conclusion that this applies to, to all of us, no matter where you work. This message of John 6 is for everyone. So I wonder, what do you, quote-unquote, believe in? What do you uh, entrust yourself to? Do you trust perishable things or an imperishable person and his promises? The, toward the end, it's the second to last chapter of John's gospel, John explains why he wrote the story of Jesus' life. Uh, the gospels often have like, a, a, th- like a, a one-liner that people point to that sort of capture the essence of the gospel. For example, Luke, people often point to the end of the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so that's sort of a, a through line with, Mark, uh, with Luke's gospel. Well, with John, people often point to the very end of chapter 20, uh, verses um, 30 and 31, where John literally says why he wrote what he wrote. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me read that again because he's saying, this is why I wrote the book about Jesus. And he uses that same word that's translated here, believe, and think of trust instead. I'll just read it that way. I'll just read trust instead of believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, But these are written so that you may trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by trusting, you may have life in his name. Well, understanding that by believe here, we need to trust in, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And by believing, do you yourself have assurance of life now and forever in his name? If so, there's absolutely nothing greater to be thankful for today on Thanksgiving. This is, you know, when people ask you later today, what are you thankful for? You can say, I'm thankful for Jesus, for God sending Jesus and for what he's done for my life. And that I have assurance that everything's going to be okay. Uh, If not in this life, you know, when I face trouble, at least in the next life, I have full assurance of where I'm headed. I'm so grateful for that. You know, you will be preaching the gospel to your family and friends if you say that simple thing. If not, on the other hand, I invite you right now to stop believing in and and trusting earthly things, and instead turn and believe in Jesus, making him the king of your life, and to give thanks that you now have a heavenly food that never perishes. You know, the food today, they they put this in, it's kind of cute that they put this in the the, the reading for Thanksgiving, right? The food that you're going to eat today, you know, you'll get full but tomorrow you'll be hungry again, maybe by lunchtime. Um, and, it, you know, if you have leftovers, it'll, you'll have a nice turkey and cranberry sandwich for the next couple of days, but it's going to go bad. Even if you freeze it eventually, that food's going to perish. But Jesus is the bread of life. Trust in him. 
that, that bread will never perish, uh, both for this life and for the life to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and this gathering, for the uh, reading that we've just had, for the words that we've heard, and for the rest of the day, for the people that we will be with. Um, help us, at least for this one day, to, to trust in, in your promises until we hear that gospel message again, that we might not be worried. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.